Folks, it's time to move forward with the Iranian resistance movement. The United States government recognizes that the religious extremists ruling Iran will continue conducting and sponsoring terrorist activities throughout the world. Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, you may know them as the IRGC, its subordinate Quds Force, and the Ministry of Intelligence and Security, MOIS, have all been investigated and found to be responsible for bombing plots and assassinations throughout the globe. The question becomes, why national governments currently in power still have so much reluctance to stop coddling the government of Iran and recognize the way to move forward is to work with the opposition. So strap in tight, because we're going to show you why the USA and its allies must increase its support for the organized resistance to the Iranian Mullah regime here on the Rob Manus Show. I've been supporting Iranians who want freedom from the Muslim extremist mullahs in their country for 40 years of my life. I've made it no secret that I grew up around Muslim extremism and also had an adopted cousin who my uncle found orphaned in the deserts of Iran. He was a wonderful Iranian who loved the freedom America brought him after his parents were killed. There are resistance organizations today working very hard to bring democracy to Iran. In his recent op-ed, retired U.S. Army Colonel Wes Martin identifies them and describes recent events surrounding them. For instance, he describes how they've been attacked like in 2018 in the German, Belgian, and French police working together stopped the MOIS from detonating a highly lethal explosive device at an Iranian resistance rally near Paris. This rally was hosted by the National Council of Resistance of Iran, or NCRI, included senior dignitary participants from Europe, Asia, Africa, and North America. The failed attack once again emphasized Iran's ruling extremist fear of the NCRI and its affiliated organization, the Mujahideen al-Khalq, or MEC. In turn, the massive number of international dignitaries attending this event confirmed the global respect held by both organizations. Neither the NCRI nor the MEC are about power in Iran. They are about democracy in Iran. Both have become cultural, political, and ideological threats to the Islamic fundamentalists. The founding philosophies of both organizations were, one, equality between those in power and those not, between men and women, and among various religious religions and races. Clergy, number two, should not have total control over interpretation of the Quran. And three, clerics cannot have control over their congregations. These philosophies are in direct contradiction to the teachings of the Iranian fundamentalists. Shamefully, Western detractors who still strive for Iranian appeasement, claim these philosophies reflect the teachings of Marx and Lenin. But the reality is these philosophies, they more accurately reflect Jefferson and Madison. 
And until there is a great awakening among these politicians and bureaucrats, Iran will remain the number one nation state exporter of terrorism. Tens of thousands of Iranian expatriates who support democracy in their country will be holding a free Iran global summit online on July 17th. The message of those Iranians who will be joined by top lawmakers from the U.S. and Europe is that the people of Iran want regime change and that it's high time for Western leaders to cast aside this outdated policy of appeasement, not least as domestic protests against the regime continue to grow, as does the terrorist threats posed by the regime. We are pleased to welcome Ali Sababi uh, as our guest today. He has a great depth of experience to talk about the Iranian resistance and the upcoming summit. Mr. Sababi is a member of Iran's parliament in exile, the National Council of Resistance of Iran, and president of Near East Policy Research, NEPR, a consulting and policy analysis firm in Washington, D.C. A socialist by career, Safavi studied and taught at UCLA, California State University, Los Angeles, and University of Michigan from 1972 until 1981. He's been an activist during the anti-Shah student movement in the 70s in the United States. Safavi has been involved in Iranian affairs since then and has lectured and written extensively on issues related to Iran, Iraq, terrorism, nuclear proliferation, and the political process in the Middle East. Welcome to the Rob Mana Show. Mr. Ali Sababi, thank you very much, sir, for doing us the honor to come on the Rob Mana Show to discuss the Iranian resistance, uh, NCRI, and the MEC, uh, and this great event that's about to happen in just a few days, the uh, Global Summit. We appreciate you coming on, sir. Well, uh, hi, Rob. The pleasure is all mine. And thank you very much for giving me the opportunity. And I look forward to a very lively and hopefully informative conversation uh, for your viewers. Well, well, Ali, I think, I think a lot of Americans kind of have an understanding that there are uh, Iranian expats around the world that that try to influence what's happening inside the country of Iran. But I'm not sure that, that you know, the average citizen has a solid understanding of, of that two of these groups are highly organized uh, and have been working a long time, not to gain power inside the country of Iran, but to, but to uh, help the creation of a democracy there that's freedom oriented and freedom based instead of this uh, Islamic extremism based the mullahs uh, have put into place and, and have, have just done a terrible job at in my opinion over the years. Uh, tell, tell my audience a little bit about NCRI and, and MEC and what they have done and what their role is uh, today. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the NCRI, which is the abbreviation for the National Council of Resistance of Iran, was formed in uh, 1981, uh, basically as an effort to bring together uh, the different uh, Iranian political tendencies uh, under one umbrella. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was basically first initiated in Tehran, but of course when uh, peaceful political activity became impossible because of 
Khomeini unleashing a reign of terror. Uh, it moved abroad to Paris and it grew over the years to some 500 individual members and five different organizations. Uh, the largest of which is the uh, MEK or uh, abbreviation for the Mujahideen Khalq, also known as the People's Mujahideen Organization of Iran or PMOI. The MEK goes back 55 years to 1965. Oh when three um, Muslim uh, university graduates uh, formed a group, uh, obviously in opposition to the Shah's corrupt dictatorship, mm -hmm. and they wanted to bring about a, a democratic form of government. And the organization worked for about uh, six years clandestinely from 1965 until 1971. Uh, engaging in uh, various uh, kind of study groups, reading uh, like uh, social, uh, sociology, social theory, social change, uh, studying other major revolutions around the world. Uh, but before it could engage in any kind of uh, activity against the Shah, uh, the secret police of the Shah, notoriously known as the Savak, mm -hmm. uh, basically uh, raided uh, the various uh, locations where MEK members were located and it arrested uh, the entire leadership cadre and 90% of its rank and file. Uh, all uh, of the 16 members of its leadership, 15 were executed by the Shah. Mm. One of them survived. Uh, he was given a death sentence initially. His name is Masood Rajavi. He was 19 when he joined the movement. But his brother, Professor Kazem Rajabi, uh, later to become Iran's first post-revolution ambassador to the United Nations European headquarters in Geneva, was a very, very well-known academic in uh, Switzerland. So he reached out to a number of well-known uh, political personalities such as Francois Mitterrand, Jean-Paul Sartre and others. Mm -hmm. And so Mr. Rajabi's death sentence was commuted to life imprisonment. And so he remained in prison until 10 days before Khomeini came to Iran from Paris. Uh, of course, by then Khomeini uh, opportunistically had assumed the leadership of the revolution. And when MEK got out of prison, there were maybe a, a few dozen or so, but they quickly grew into largest political opposition party in Iran, where their meetings would attract 200,000, 300,000 people their daily publication had a circulation of some 500,000 copies, whereas the leading uh, uh, newspaper uh, at the time mm -hmm. had like a circulation of about 30 or 40,000. So just to, Naturally, be clear, sir, uh, uh, just to be clear, sir, uh, uh, the MEC was an opposition political party at the beginning of the Khomeini revolution once that happened. Is that correct? In the Did beginning, right? like in the first, in the first, that's a very good question. In the first two and a half years, uh, when peaceful political activity was allowed mm -hmm. and the MEK was a still uh, a legally accepted opposition group, it engaged in political activities, but obviously yeah. it had its own views, its own platform vis-a-vis yeah. -vis, uh, uh, what should be done in Iran. It was obviously opposed to draconian 
laws that the mullahs were instituting one after the other, including, of course, a compulsory veiling for women, uh, like uh, uh, imposing Sharia law. The MEK, although itself is a Muslim movement, it was vehemently opposed to the imposition of Sharia law and it advocated gender equality, whereas, as you know, in Iran today, women are considered second-class citizens. So uh, Khomeini tolerated the MEK until such time when he realized that if he does not unleash a reign of terror, that the MEK and its supporters across the country would uh, basically sweep the regime into the dustbin of history. That is why on June 20th, 1981, when the MEK organized a half a million strong uh, protest in Tehran, Khomeini ordered the Revolutionary Guard to open fire. Dozens were killed, hundreds were arrested, and thousands, uh, like the executions, began uh, that very night. And that's how the reign of terror began. And it has, of course, continued until today, where there are 120,000 uh, uh, victims of executions in Iran, some 30,000 executed in uh, summer of 1988 um, under a religious decree, a fatwa by Khomeini, which said anybody who supports the MEK should be uh, um, basically wiped out. And that's what the Mullahs did. And so, of course, the MEK continued the struggle. It, it, uh, it, it, some of its members went to Paris. It was in Paris until 1986. Uh, when the uh, conservative government of Jacques Chirac struck a deal with Tehran, that in return for the release of French hostages who were held by Iranian proxies in Lebanon, that uh, the MEK would be declared persona non grata. Yeah. And so the MEK had to leave France. Naturally, the only country they could go to was Iraq, because no other country would be willing to accept them, not only because of uh, uh, fears that the regime would... Uh, engage in terrorism against it, but also because many countries had economic relations with Tehran. And so the MEK went to Iraq in 1986. It formed a, a mechanized uh, army uh, and was there for um, many years until 2016, when after the invasion of Iraq and the coming to power of a pro-Iranian government of Nouri al-Maliki, uh, the MEK was no longer safe. They were attacked by the Maliki government. 140 of the members were killed. And so ultimately, with the help of the United Nations, their supporters in the U.S., in Europe, and the U.S. government, they ultimately relocated to Albania, where they had built a beautiful, beautiful modern city as the new home called Ashraf III, because their original home in Iraq was called Ashraf yeah. One. And they are there now and very active. Recall that they were the first who revealed Iran's uh, clandestine nuclear weapons program. And of course, uh, ever since it has the movement, both the NCRI and the MEK have gained a tremendous international recognition. Mm -hmm. uh, case in point, last year when the big rally was held in Albania at Ashraf 3, some 350 different uh, current former government officials, uh, bipartisan lawmakers, international dignitaries, including uh, the president's personal lawyer, Mayor Giuliani, mm -hmm. uh, uh, Governor Ridge, uh, uh, Attorney General Michael Mukasey, several uh, generals like General Casey, General uh, Conway, a whole host of others, and also from Europe, came to Ashraf 3 and uh, 
it was like a five-day event they spoke and voiced their support for the movement yeah and uh, just for clarification for the audience sir uh, uh, the uh, uh, the NCRI and the MEC are in agreement on the 10 policy positions the NCRI leadership talks about absolutely yes that's the 10-point plan yeah that has been articulated by Mrs. Rajavi, who is the president-elect of the NCRI. Right. And of course, all members of the NCRI, not only the MEK, all members adhere to that platform, which, okay. of course, calls for universal suffrage, for free elections, for gender equality, for religious equality, for equality for all of Iran's ethnicities. It bans Sharia law. It calls for a non-nuclear republic in Iran and it wants to have a peaceful relations with the rest of the world. It's a very, very, I guess, if I may use the term, and some uh, of the dignitaries who, who've read it have, they have described it as a Jeffersonian type of platform that... Uh, that well, I was about to say, it reads very closely to the ideas first laid down by, by Jefferson and Franklin and Adams in our Declaration of Independence. Uh, yes. Even though we didn't achieve them the ideas are what we our country has worked for to form a what we call a more perfect union uh so that that leads me to really uh uh, the next question ali and that is you know in the last 10 15 years you mentioned some of the generals uh i'm a retired full colonel from the air force after 30 something years uh uh, i just published an op-ed uh by retired army colonel west martin who worked uh worked with the yes. at Ashraf, I believe, yeah. uh, and has great faith and confidence in the NCRI and the resistance uh, uh, in the MEC, uh, as I do. And a lot of us do that, are, that we're senior, you know, lower level senior leaders, all the way up to the most senior leaders in the military uniform. We support your efforts because that's what we see is Jeffersonian and uh, Madison type uh, ideals that uh, and we also see from stated policies from uh, the president-elect, folks like yourself, that the idea behind NCRI and, and, and MEC is not to seize power. It's to, it's to enable the creation of this democratic republic uh, that follows Jeffersonian and Madison-type ideas, right? Absolutely. I think, first of all, let me say that we have been very fortunate. I think the situation in Iraq in many respects, as tragic as it turned out to be, mm-hmm. uh, had a silver lining. And the silver lining was that uh, many American uh, uh, officers who were based at Camp Ashraf came to know the MEK personally, including the Colonel you mentioned, Colonel West Martin, whom I know quite well. and. Uh, in that sense, um, uh, they have been at the forefront of the campaign to get uh, the American people know the MEK and what it stands for. Naturally, I think we have learned a great deal from the uh, disastrous and painful experience of Khomeini's 41-year rule. Mm-hmm. And that is why we have said time and again, and Mrs. Rajavi has impressed upon this, that we are not in this fight to seize power, nor are we in this fight to even have a share of the power. 
we feel it is our uh, generational duty to create a situation whereby the Iranian people can choose freely whoever they want them to lead the country in the future. And once we accomplish that, I think uh, we feel that we have uh, delivered on our commitment. Uh, now, obviously, in a future democratic Iran, if the Iranian people uh, choose to vote through the ballot box and bestow us with the responsibility and the honor of leading Iran into the future, our movement has demonstrated over the past 55 years that it is ready for that challenge. Mm -hmm. uh, because, as I'm sure you, uh, you yourself said, we are in this fight for something bigger than ourselves. And you would find within the ranks of the organization people who have basically abandoned their personal careers for something much, much bigger than their personal life. And you would find among uh, the MEK members some of the most educated group of people that you can find, very talented folks, but yet they have said we have to... Uh, give all that we can give to make sure that uh, Iranians are free again and uh, enjoy life as do other people around the world. So you're, you're absolutely correct that for us, really, the ideal is uh, to have a day where Iranians can go to the ballot box and choose whomever they want to lead them into the future. Okay. Without threat of force be used against them by any government entity. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, it's it's a very familiar uh, idea, Ali, uh, to me. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a ninth generation uh, person on my father's side that served in the U.S. Armed Forces, starting with the man that walked out of his county uh, to join the Continental Army. And and mm -hmm. when when those Americans, those first Americans did what they did, it was not to take power. It was to establish a free country and they fully expected and then did go back home to resume their lives uh, and vote uh, and those kind of things. So so we should be very comfortable with that here in this country. But one of the things that I'm curious about and uh, I'd like to hear y'all's perspective from the NCRI and MEC uh, is that there seems to be still a lot of appeasement type politicians, uh, even in the United States. Uh, that uh, uh, that they don't seem to be fully on board like Mayor Giuliani is. Uh, you mentioned President mm -hmm. Trump's personal lawyer being at the last mm -hmm. conference, and I think he's speaking, folks, uh, on this conference too, if I if I believe so. Correct? Yeah. Yes, indeed, he is. Yeah. He is. yeah. So, no, so you're 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 absolutely correct, uh, Rob. I think when it comes to Iran, if you ask me. Why has this ahistorical medieval regime survived for so long? I would give three reasons. One is probably the most ruthless and repressive regime in modern history post-World War II. Mm -hmm. Second, terrorism and belligerence is its a strategic pillar. By wreaking havoc in the Middle East region, it has been able to divert attention from the domestic situation and has exported the crises brewing within
beyond its borders. And in fact, the regime leaders, including Supreme Leader Khamenei and others, openly talk about uh, Damascus, Beirut, and Baghdad being the strategic depth for the regime. And of course, now they have added to it um, Yemen. And third, I would say, factor that has empowered and enabled this regime for so long has been the policy of appeasement. Uh, both unfortunately in the United States, mm -hmm. but also in Europe. Uh, case in point, the so-called Iran nuclear deal, yeah. the JCPOA, which gave Tehran hundreds of billions of dollars of money, including 1.7 billion in cash. Uh, yet, you see that after that deal was signed, a fatally flawed deal in 2015, uh, the regime did not moderate his behavior. It took the money and went straight to the bank and cashed it. And it spent it on its proxies in Syria, in Iraq, in Lebanon, giving thousands of missiles to the Hezbollah. Yep. And of course, giving drones and ballistic missiles to the Houthis in Yemen, who of course have wreaked havoc in that part of the world, uh, in, the, in the Persian Gulf. And so you're absolutely correct that were it not for the policy of appeasement, uh, that we wouldn't be here. And I think one probably most um, detrimental aspects of that appeasement policy was uh, the designation of the MEK as a terrorist group by the United States in 1997, mm -hmm. by the United Kingdom in 2001, and by the European Union in 2002. And what that did, basically, it shackled our movement because for 15 years, we devoted every resource we had, monetary resource, financial resource, political resource, human resource, to gaining back our legitimacy and fight off these listings, which, of course, we succeeded uh, resoundingly, both in the United States in a, in a ruling that had never been issued in the, uh, since, 19, since 1803. Uh, uh, we won a writ of mandamus that the uh, America's second highest court, the Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia, unanimously ordered the State Department to either make a decision on the status of the MEK or it would remove it from the list itself. In the United Kingdom, Lord Chief Justice Phillips, uh, equivalent of John Roberts, in his ruling chastised the UK government for wasting public money to keep the MEK on the terrorist list. And in the European Union, the court did what it had never done in its 53-year history, and that is to strike down uh, the designation of the MEK, which was, of course, within the realm of foreign policy, national security. And as you know, courts never get engaged in this type of decisions. And so in this sense, yes, you're absolutely correct that the appeasement not only uh, enabled and empowered and prolonged uh, the rule of this regime, but in many respects retarded the democracy movement in Iran. But of course, that's all over now. We are on the offensive. That is why you see the situation in Iran has uh, gone through seismic shifts with the nationwide November uprising in 2019. And of course, uh, the subsequent uprising in January of 2020. And of course, continuing acts of protest and the MEK now uh, is focused in many respects on the domestic situation. It has resistance units. 
that are active all over the country uh, as we speak. And so things are looking very good, very optimistic for us. And we believe that by relying on the Iranian people and of course, um, the support of the, the moral support of the international community, we can finally uh, uh, push aside the dark clouds of dictatorships in our country and allow the, the, the dawn of freedom to, um, to arrive. And I know, Ali, that, that uh, I fully support that, and I know a lot of Americans do. Uh, but there is a there is a concern in our in my country uh, because we heard we learned some really hard lessons from Iraq uh, and and the length of time that we've been in Afghanistan again. Uh, that you know, re regime change wars are not the proper use, in our opinion, of the United States uh, military force uh, uh, without without the right purpose. Uh, you know, NCRI and MEC, uh, what specifically uh, can you tell us and tell my audience of what this, what do you need the United States of America to do? Uh, yes, moral support, uh, support in legislation, support in the international community organizations that we're a member of. Uh, but is there anything else that you're asking uh, yeah. for Americans to sacrifice or, or give to support the cause beyond that? Yeah, that's a very, very good question. First of all, let me tell you what we do not want the United States to do. And that is to put the boots on the ground. Thank you. Because, <laughs> because um, as Franklin Roosevelt said once, Freedom is not something that can be bestowed. It is something that must be achieved. And so making Iran free is our task, is our responsibility. We and the Iranian people alone can do that. Nobody else can bring freedom to us. And so we have never, ever advocated foreign military intervention in Iran. Uh, and I think those in the United States who equate uh, a firm policy vis-a-vis -vis Iran with uh, going to war with Iran are uh, pushing forth a false narrative. And that narrative is intended to justify appeasement. So with that yeah. said, I think the United States can do a lot. Of course, the policy of maximum pressure has been very effective. I think the decision to leave the JCPOA was very prudent because that um, deal was flawed to begin with. Of course, we don't have time to delve into a lot of details, but yeah. um, maybe at some future opportunity, we could tell your audience why that deal was flawed and why it would never stop Iran from uh, obtaining the bomb. But I think that uh, the Everything must be done to prevent the regime in Iran to get its hands even on, a, on one dollar. Uh, it should not be allowed to spend any money on any weaponry. It should be banished from international fora. It should be delegitimized. Its leaders must be prosecuted for crimes against humanity. You know, the 1988 massacre 
uh, is a manifest case of crime against humanity, executing political prisoners who were in prison and none had been sentenced to death is a crime against humanity, is, is like a yes. genocide. And so uh, I think a lot more needs to be done. I think the United States can also help the Iranian people technologically, provide them with the type of um, instrument and technology that would enable them to bypass Iranian regime censorship. Recall that during the 2019 uprising, the regime cut off the internet uh, for about a week mm -hmm. uh, to stifle the protesters from communicating with each other. Now, the US have the capability to help the Iranians, especially the young Iranians who are quite internet savvy, to communicate with each other, to organize. And of course, the United States, from our point of view, can twist some arms, can push the Europeans to forego this policy of appeasement that they have pursued and are still reluctant to recognize the fatality of the JCPOA. And uh, third, I think there has to be a clear statement, an unequivocal statement, that the people of Iran have the right to overthrow this regime. Just as uh, America's Declaration of Independence said that the people of America have the right to dismember uh, a regime, a government that does not uh, protect and respect their rights. And so I think this type of uh, steps would encourage the people of Iran to carry on their struggle, to recognize that they are not alone, but also would send a very strong signal to the regime in Tehran that uh, the international community is not going to let them commit the crimes that they have been committing with impunity. So I think we're still some ways to go. But at the end of the day, uh, Rob, I would say that it's the street in Iran that will make the difference. And I'm, I'm very, very uh, happy to tell you that especially in the past couple of years, there has been a tremendous uh, outpouring of support to the um, message that the uh, NCRI and MEK have been putting out within Iran to a point where uh, regimes officials are talking about it every day. Uh, case in point, back in um, May of this year, two elite Iranian students, award-winning uh, gold medalists at the Astrophysics and Physics Olympiad in 2018, uh, were arrested by the security forces for their alleged ties to the MEK. Remember, these are people who were born under this regime, after yeah. the revolution, and have been under constant barrage of regimes propaganda, demonization campaign against the MEK, yet the MEK's message has found its way through the dark clouds of censorship and misinformation and has reached the Iranians. And, and so um, I think, to be honest with you, after 41 years, we are quickly reaching the end of the road. The Mullahs are uh, immersed in a multitude of crises regionally, uh, socially, politically, economically. As you know, the Iranian real is in a free fall, the currency. Yep. Inflation is running something like 67%. Unemployment is more than 50%. Uh, about 25 million Iranians live in slum areas around the cities. 
about 17 million sleep hungry every night. You know, in a country where you have uh, um, the second largest gas reserves in the world and uh, used to be the fourth larger exporter of oil, people have to dwell in graves. And, and so no. because of all of this, I think that the day of reckoning is approaching fast. And uh, to the extent that the international community that can demonstrate uh, solidarity with the people of Iran, I think we, they can expedite uh, the process of uh, bringing this regime to an end and uh, ensuring a peaceful transition to a democratic and secular government uh, that can play a constructive role in bringing peace and stability uh, in the Middle East. Well, I tell you what, sir, I might have asked a good question, but you had a great answer. Uh, and uh, I knew that what the answer was likely to be, uh, but I wanted the people that or my audience and the American people that get to see this interview, hear it directly from you. Uh, and I think you're right. Uh, you know, I've been monitoring the situation uh, uh, for a long time in, in the last couple of years. Uh, uh, I've, I've been very pleased to see the successes uh, that the NCRI and the MEC are having inside the country of Iran. Uh, because as you know, and pointed out, that's where it has to happen. Uh, you know, as much as I think the organization of NCRI and the MEC, are, uh, and you all recognize this uh, uh, from outside as expatriates and everything, uh, to, to provide that support, intellectual capital, uh, resources of funding and those kind of things, uh, penetrating the message, the truth, uh, to the Iranian people is what eventually is going to get us to the end of that road. And I think you're right. I think we're getting getting there, and it's only because of your success. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why, personally, I've supported uh, uh, not doing the JCO, JCPOA and then withdrawing from it for years now. Uh, uh, in the campaign of maximum pressure, you, you'll see me and my colleagues support President Trump's administration on continuing that and, and ratcheting it up. Uh, to make it hurt even more, even though we pray daily for uh, the freedom-loving people of Iran, uh, we've got to get to the end of this road so that eventually the dream of freedom uh, can once, and prosperity, you mentioned the poverty, uh, can once again uh, emanate from within and, and outside of Iran, uh, this jewel, uh, you know, uh, of the world, really from a historical yeah. perspective. Uh, and I just so yeah. appreciate you coming on today. Uh, please tell my audience, uh, uh, you know, that uh, about the participation in the global summit that's about to happen sure. on July definitely. 17th and how to, how to get in touch and find out more information about it. Yes, definitely. Let me just add, if I may, just one yeah. footnote to what you very eloquently said. Obviously, as an Iranian, uh, I and all of us in the movement feel for the, the um, uh, hardship that the Iranian people have to endure because of the sanctions. Yeah. But I think remember that uh, even when Iran was not being sanctioned, uh, the people of Iran did not reap the benefits of all the money that was coming in. When Ahmadinejad was the president for eight years, Iranian oil revenues were about $600 billion. The question is, where did that money go? 
It was either spent in regional countries supporting terrorist proxies. It was spent on the nuclear weapons program. It was spent on the ballistic missile program. And it was also spent on arming the Revolutionary Guards and the military and security forces to suppress the Iranian population. So the idea that somehow if you give the regime money, it would help improve the lives of the people is absolutely an illusion and it's not going to happen. Now, to your point about the upcoming event on Friday, uh, to be honest with you, when COVID-19 came, uh, we faced a dilemma, what to do, because in the past, the events that we organized attracted upwards of 100,000 people in Paris. But this time, you couldn't get all these people in under one roof. So everybody else was scaling down. So we were faced with the situation of what to do. We decided to scale up. And so with the talented engineers and technical folks within the movement, we decided to make this a virtual summit, the largest of its kind uh, after the pandemic and probably even before the pandemic, where uh, Iranians and others from some 30,000 locations across the world, 102 countries, uh, will be coming online to participate in this event. To give you an idea of how vast this is, the time difference between some of the countries is 17 hours. Some of the it's speakers impressive. have to get up at 3 a.m. Uh, to be live on the program and speak. And we have like uh, a thousand plus uh, current former government officials, uh, international dignitaries, uh, bipartisan lawmakers who are participating. And it's going to deliver three messages. One, that the Mullah's days are numbered. Two, the Iranian people are ready and prepared and determined to send the Mullahs to the dustbin of history. And three, that the international community must do its part to end impunity for the Mullahs of Iran and bring the leaders of this regime uh, to justice. And uh, I think it's going to have an enormous impact. And uh, already we have received uh, a lot of support from Iranians inside Iran. Certainly millions will be watching this because in addition to all of the various social platform, this entire event will be uh, broadcast live into Iran via satellite and uh, millions of Iranians can watch it, as can other people around the world. Uh, there is a website, the NCRI website, uh, www.ncr-iran.org. Uh, there's a landing page there that, that people who are interested in watching it can go there, uh, or they can go to, um, um, or use ha uh, hashtag free Iran 2020, and the tune in and, and watch the event is going to be a, and a spectacular um, summit that has been organized. It will feature, of course, in addition to uh, so many high profile speakers, uh, it will feature musicians, artists uh, who will perform, um, uh, of course, online. Uh, plus a whole host of other programs. So it's going to be a very lively, colorful 
event uh, in some respect like a magnum opus when it comes to the kind of artistry that is going to be presented and it's going to i think serve uh, a message that uh, the people of iran and the iranian resistance uh, are not uh, limited or restricted uh, by the coronavirus and that they're going to carry on their struggle no matter what and um, in this sense i think our event will provide a very very hopeful and uh, i guess upbeat message to the people of iran who are these days suffering from the coronavirus you know as you may know mm -hmm. uh, actually as of today some 70,800 iranians have lost their lives because of the regime's cover-up, incompetence, corruption, and mismanagement of this crisis in our country. Uh, so we're going to give them a message of hope, happiness, and resolve, uh, and inspire them to carry on the fight until such day when uh, we can all celebrate freedom and victory in Iran. And of course, I have every hope and wish that you, as well as others who uh, uh, support our cause, are present there on, on Freedom Square, and uh, we can celebrate uh, the dawn of liberty and, and democracy and prosperity in our country. Well, Ali, I know I'm excited about the summit, but I'm more excited about, uh, and I believe I will be still be standing uh, by standing with you uh, and your colleagues in Freedom Square when that day happens, my friend. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the Rob Manus show today. Uh, this Iranian policy uh, from an American perspective and an allied perspective is critical uh, to the success of ridding the world of this inhumane uh, regime and, and government uh, and reestablishing a democratic republic where all people can uh, be free and worship as they please and be equal. Uh, and uh, we appreciate the NCRI and MEC's continued resistance effort uh, that is being successful and will be successful one day soon, I believe. Uh, and I want you to know that we're here, we're not going anywhere, and uh, we will continue to support the effort until that day when uh, all Iranians can stand in freedom and prosperity uh, at long last, at long last. Uh, thank you very much. For thank you very much, Rob. I think uh, it was indeed a great pleasure and privilege for me to be on your show. I think it is people like you, and I've, you know, I've lived in the United States for 48 years of my life, uh, and I've met many, many honorable and gracious people like yourself, and you are the ones who inspire us to carry the fight forward despite all the adversity and all the difficulties and the pain and suffering uh, that we have to endure in all these years. And so um, we are very confident, you know, that uh, George Washington said, the more difficult the struggle, the, the more magnificent the victory. And I'm a firm believer in that. And so uh, that day will come and it will be magnificent. And what a day it would be, I can't even think about it. Uh, but uh, I'll leave it at that. And uh, President General Washington was exactly right. Uh, I know that quote, and, uh, and it will be that one day soon uh, in Iran too, Ali. Uh, thank you so much for joining the Rob Mena Show. 
this week. Uh, we will get this message out far and wide. Well, we certainly appreciate Mr. Savavi taking time out of his very busy schedule to come talk to us uh, so our audience can get a better understanding of what NCRI and MEC are all about and to get some knowledge and help share the information and maybe even go on to the uh, Global Summit uh, on July 17th online. You can find it at the website that uh, will be highlighted in the post for this show. Until next week, this is Rob Manus.